0: Guys, welcome back. It is good to see your faces. Uh, we, are, we are starting a brand new series this week entitled God Is. And uh, I tell you what, I could not be more excited about this the next several weeks that we're going to be uh, looking at this, this idea of who God is, because that's, that's slightly important to our faith, right? It's going to be really hard for us to walk forward faithfully. It's going to be hard to, uh, for us to trust him. It's, it's going to be hard to obey him if we don't know who he is. And so, as we get started in this series, that's our heart, is that, that this series would help bolster and, and the foundation of your faith in a way that helps you walk uh, faithfully, but also with a little bit more ease and a little less trepidation. Because when we don't know someone, we're always on guard for what's going to go wrong. right? And when it comes to following God, like that's, that's a part of our faith, is always wondering, does he see me? Does he know what's going on? Does he care about me? Is he really in control? Can he actually work things out? And so we're gonna spend a good bit of time looking at the words of Christ, looking at the the whole of the Bible and see what does God's word tell us about exactly who is God. So to get us started, I wanna bring us back to a moment that I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has had probably around 12 times in your life. Because most of us in here probably got, went through 12 years of school. And there's a season, usually towards the end of July, where the new school year is about to begin, right? And there's that, that kind of sadness that summer's over, but also this weird excitement for buying school supplies, and the cool new folder, or those, those pencils that have yet to be sharpened, or the new crayons to get the, you know, the big pack, or whatever it is. Like, there, there's this excitement, but then, then there's another level of excitement that we all go through, and that is the day you find out what class you're in, who your teacher is, and are your friends going to be in class with you? Now, I'm just a small bit older than y'all, and we didn't get our stuff online. Like, we went up to the school, and there was a piece of paper on uh, the door, and you'd find your name. And so every year, the parking lot would be packed, and you'd see kids sprinting from their car to go see what teacher they were about to have, right? And it was either a wonderful day or a terrible day because you didn't get the teacher you wanted or you got the teacher you wanted. Well, as you guys well know, if you've been coming to the gathering for a while, I've got a lot of young kids, and so I'm reliving this every July, right? I get to watch them be excited. Um, but, but one thing happened two years ago. Uh, my, one of my, my sons, um, he was looking forward to, you know, finding out who his teacher is, and he found out who his teacher was. Well, one of his neighborhood buddies, who's a year ahead of him in school, had that same teacher. And he told my son, oh man, she is terrible. And Hank's excitement went from, like, couldn't be more excited to total dread? Because his friend had told him she's no fun, she's really mean, right? Because all teachers get into teaching because they're mean people. Um, Just kidding, teachers, I know, we we know you're not. You are actually saints. And so the week going into school, he was just, I mean, he was not himself. He was grumpy. Every day he would wake up crying because he didn't want to go to school because he thought that whole year was was done before it even started. And then the first day of school came, and of course he said, I'm sick, I can't go. No. Right, we're like, no, you're going. So he goes to school, he comes home, he's like, "How, how was it? He's like, it was okay. And the next day, how was it? It was good. And by the end of the first week, he loved it. Because he realized that what his friend had told him was not what was true. Because you see, my son, Hank, he loves structure. And when kids disobey in class, he wants there to be justice. And he wants the rules to be followed. He wants people to be quiet so he can study. He, like, he, he's just that kid. He wants to know what's gonna happen, what's expected, and that is going to happen, right? Well, guess what? His friend did not like strict teachers. He liked the chaos of the world, right? And so because his friend saw a certain viewpoint, he gave Hank an incomplete view of who his teacher was. And it wasn't until he met his teacher, spent time with his teacher, that he realized, oh, I came to some preconceived notions and narratives about who my teacher was gonna be. We see this in another way in our house almost on a daily basis. There's a lot of ears in our house. And so when my wife and I are talking about future plans, whether it's the weekend or the summer or next year, inevitably, one of my children will hear some word that piques their interest. And they will come running into the middle of a conversation and already have come to a conclusion, what are we doing? Where are we going? And we're just like, no dude, we're not even talking about that. But because he heard one phrase or one word, he just quickly develops an entire story in his head of what our whole weekend's gonna be, that his life is destroyed, right? Like that all his plans are for naught. But this is what we do. And I tell you these stories because I think this is often what we do with God, is that we let a narrative of who God is form in our minds and in our hearts on incomplete information. Like You've you've heard me say this a million times at the gathering, is that the narrative that I grew up with was that God was here to catch me in my sin. He was just the, the cosmic principle waiting for me to screw up. And then when I heard a pastor in my 20s say, no, no, that's not who God is. God did not come to catch you in your sin. He came to set you free from the sin that has already caught you. And I was like, whoa, what? Because let's be honest, when, I, when my, my early faith days, believing that God was just trying to catch me caused me to live and make decisions in a certain way that was miserable because I was so afraid to screw up. I was so afraid of not being perfect that God would be disappointed in me. I was so afraid of God that I could not love God. I didn't want to follow him because I was afraid of him. But as I grew older, the pieces of the puzzle, as I studied God's word started to come together, and I opened this word and I felt like, oh God, is, he's, he's different than what I had told myself. And these are the important questions of our faith, is it not? Right? We're just gonna assume that everyone in here has some grasp that there is a God. And so then the next natural question is, well, what is this God like? What can I expect from him? Maybe even what does he expect of me, right? But we're not gonna go quite that far tonight, but we're just gonna start answering the question in this series is, who is God? We need to know this. Because some of you, are walking in here tonight with, with an incomplete picture of who God is or a false belief that he is this way when God's word actually says he's this. And we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, explore God's word together. And so tonight we're gonna talk about the fact that God is good, that God is good. And I'm gonna be honest with you tonight. There have been seasons in my life where this one is really hard to believe. And some of you guys in here tonight may be in a season where you're like, I don't believe that, Andy. Convince me. I could show you some things that have happened in my life, that are happening in my life. I'm gonna show you that God is not good. But this is why we talk about these things. Because what you don't want to do is form your theology when you are in the middle of the storm. We want to get it squared away early so that as life comes at us, good, bad, ugly, chaotic, whatever, we know and have a biblical understanding that God is good despite circumstances, all right? And so we have some challenges that we're going to have to overcome in this series, all right? The first challenge is this, that God's attributes, they they are wholly different than ours, like literally holy. Every attribute of God is holy, means set apart. It's different than us. And so when we say God is good, we automatically have some definitions that we don't even know we have of what is good. But God's good is different than our good. Because the way we as human beings fallen in our sinful nature, we see things through the lens of a fallen sinful nature. God's good is higher. And it is better. And what you're gonna see is, it's even hard to define these terms because of our fallen human nature and our preconceived notions of who God is. The second challenge we have is to not over-personify God. Yes, we are, we are created in his image, but if you're anything like me, what I tend to do is as I take my experience with people and I project them, well, that must be who God is. This person was supposed to be good, so maybe God can't be good. Right, we, we take what we experience with humans and we project it onto God. And we have to be careful that we don't over-personify the Lord in that way. And then maybe the greatest challenge, which you are gonna see tonight, in just a second, is the challenge of using finite and flawed human language to describe an infinite, unchanging, and flawless God. That is a humongous hurdle that we have, that we just have the words that we have. They're finite, they are flawed, to describe a God who is infinite and who is perfect and unchanging. So here's, you're gonna get a crack, this cracks me up. Here's the definition I came up with. Like, try to go with a definition for the goodness of God. It's tough. Here we go. The goodness of God means that He has no evil in Him, His intentions and motivations are always good, He always does what is right. And the outcome of his plan is always good. God's goodness is not a behavior, but the character of God. That's a long definition. I couldn't stop. Because once you, once you say one thing, you're well, yeah, what about this part? And well, what about this part? Because our words can't, can't do it. Another way to say this is that God is inclined to be kind, gracious, compassionate, caring and full of goodwill towards people he is tender hearted and quick of sympathy and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is loving kindness by his nature he is inclined to assign blessedness like that i mean that's like a whole paragraph definition Right? Do you feel the tension here? Like We're trying to take the, 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 this, this small, finite vocabulary and say, this is who God is. And so that's why we have to go to God's word and let God's word speak for itself. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. This is where we're gonna start. This is gonna be our catalyst for the evening. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. If, and if you were here just a couple weeks ago, I taught on this particular passage, but we're gonna come back to it because we glossed over this one phrase. Two weeks ago, I talked about generosity. Or was it two weeks ago or something like that? Right, that God is a giver. And so we looked at the parable of the, or the story of the rich young ruler. And so I wanna just pick out two verses here. It's the very start of the conversation. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What an amazing thing for Jesus to say. How, good teacher. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Only God alone is good. So my first point tonight is that God's nature is good. God's nature is good. Like we, as a parent, we would read books on nurture or nature, right? Like how our kids formed. Well, God's nature is good. And I think this narrative that God is good is something that we believe when we hear it, right? When, we, when someone says, right, like you guys have probably heard, you've been in churches where like, God is good all the time and all the time God is good, we've heard it. And we're like, amen, let's go, yep, God is good all the time. You know what, and all the time, God is good. And it's easy, because it, it, it's, it's a pithy little phrase, and it's easy to remember. But I think sometimes we have reservations whether we actually believe that he's good. It sounds good to say, and it sounds good collectively to say it together, it's like, yeah, yeah. But then life happens. And we have a pausing moment, where we're like, is, is he good? Like that's where Genesis three comes into play, right? Again, talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that there was a seed of doubt in God's goodness planted by Satan in the heart of Eve. Right, that, that God is withholding from you. He didn't give you every tree in the garden. Oh, did he really say you would die? And so in Genesis three, this seed that we all have has been planted in the human heart, that maybe God's not actually good. Maybe he's good for you, and he's good for you, but for me, I don't know if he's really out for my good. It reminds me of an old fable called the scorpion and the frog. Some of you may have heard it, some of you may I have no idea, all right? Here's what it is, it says, a scorpion wants to cross a river, but cannot swim. And so the scorpion asks a frog to carry it across. The frog hesitates, wisely, afraid that the scorpion might sting it and thus kill it. But the scorpion promises not to, pointing out that if I stung you, we would both drown. So the frog considers this argument sensible and agrees to transport the scorpion across the river. Midway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog anyway, dooming them both to death. The dying frog asks the scorpion why it stung, despite knowing the consequence, to which the scorpion then replies, I am sorry, but I couldn't resist the urge. It is my nature. And I think sometimes, or maybe for you, it's all the time, or at least consistently, we live with this underlying narrative that God is actually the scorpion. That he's telling us, hey, I, I love you. And I, and I want what's best for you. And I have invited you in through the cross of Christ. I will take care of you. You'll cast all your fears and cares on me because I care for you. But in, in the back of our mind, we're like, are you a scorpion? Are you gonna burn me? Because we're not quite sure if he was good. So that's why I wanna talk the very first of this series that God is good. Because everything else that we're gonna talk about week after week depends on this. Because if we don't believe that God is good, then it's gonna be impossible to believe the rest. And so God's nature is good. I wanna show you three things that point to the nature of God being good. The first is that Jesus declares alone God is good. In Mark chapter 10, verse 18, which I just read, Jesus stops the rich young ruler and is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your definition of good is off base because only God alone is good. So, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, declares God alone is powerful. God alone is angry. God alone is just, nope, he's not disappointed. When Jesus has an opportunity to describe God, he says, God alone is good. And in John 12, 49, Jesus says, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Which to me, when I read that, it says, hey, God told Jesus to make sure people know that he is good. So speak it. And Jesus did. So first he declares that God alone is good. Secondly, Jesus describes God as good. When you see Jesus teach the parables, maybe his famous, most famous parable is in Luke 15, the Prodigal Son. If you grew up in church, this is familiar to you. But if you haven't, let me explain. It's, it's a story about a father who has two sons, and one son says, "Hey, I want my inheritance. I'm tired of waiting for you to die." And so he goes to his father and says, give, "Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here." He's like, "I know what's good for me." So he, the father, in his goodness, says, "All right, son. Here you go. Here's your inheritance." And the son goes and he he, he spends it all on wild living and craziness. And then when he runs out of money, he finds himself eating pig food. And this says, the son came to his senses and said, even my father's servants have food to eat. And so he said, I'm gonna go back to my dad. And so he goes back, he walks back to his dad. And on the way, he's practicing his I'm sorry speech. But then we see this amazing, like when, like I'm saying, Jesus describes God in this story as the father and that he is good. Watch this. He's, it says that the father was watching for his son. And when he saw his son, he ran out to him. Gave him the robe off of his back, took the family crest ring, put it on his finger, told the rest of the servants, Hey, my son who was once lost has now been found. He's back. Let's kill the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. And what sticks out to me there is that God's goodness outpaces the son's repentance. The son was repentant. He's turning back to his father and he's walking, but his father is running. You see, God is good in the way that he receives those who have a repentant heart. Not only does he de- Jesus declare, he describes God over and over as good. And then lastly, in Exodus 33, God displays his goodness. Right, so Moses has this little tent outside of the, of the camp. They're, they're, they're in the wilderness, and it's called the Tent of Meeting. And whenever whenever Moses was gonna go talk to God, he'd go out to the tent of meeting and everyone in the entire camp would stand up, stand at the door of their tent and watch Moses walk out to the tent outside of the camp. In the pillar of cloud, God's presence would hang out over the tent as Moses would talk to God face to face. And in Exodus 33, we get a glimpse of the conversation in verse 18. It says, then Moses said, Now show me your glory, God. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord in your presence. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Did you catch the exchange here? Moses asked for glory, but God promises his goodness. The two cannot be separated. Moses is like, show me your abundance. Show me your majesty. And God says, let me show you my goodness. God is good. Jesus declares it. He describes it and God displays it. In Psalm 145, 9, David writes, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. One of my favorite authors when it comes to the attributes of God is a guy named A.W. Tozer. He said this, the greatness of God arouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us not to be afraid of him. To fear and not be afraid is the paradox of the faith. That God is great and he is to be feared, but his goodness says we don't need to be afraid. God is by his nature good, not the kind of good that is dependent on situations or motivations or mood, but good in his nature. And if Jesus's words alone are not good enough to convince us that he is good, then let's look at how God shows us his goodness. Psalm 19 verses one through four says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message, the heavens, has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. So, my second point tonight is that God shows us his goodness. God shows us his goodness. I'm gonna give you three ways he shows us. Number one is in his creation, right? God did not have to create the world. He didn't have to do that. He did so at least in part to communicate his goodness to us, to you and I. In Genesis chapter one, when you see God in the midst of his creative genius, time after time after time, he creates and says it is good. And what's crazy to me is at the end of it, he says, he has made it all and it is very good. And most of the creation, guess who was not present yet? To worship him or praise him or obey him. We weren't even on the scene yet. Humanity had not been created before God was creating goodness. He was preparing a place for us. And it was good. Good. I think about the creative process of God, that God is creative. You know, you see sunsets, the years like there's no, wow, God is an artist. It got me thinking about artists. I'm married to a creative artist. And what I notice about creative artists, whether it's actual art, like you know, acrylics or whatever, or graphic artists or musicians, is that you can tell something about the creator of what they, of what they create. Right? Their, their, their creativity has a personality. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We all know a lot about Taylor Swift because of what she writes. And what we learn about her is you do not want to be her boyfriend. <laughs> right? Like, we learned that about her. Like, the, the, the artist creates from who they are. And God created and said, it is very good. Psalm 33:5. 5 the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. So we see God show his goodness in his creation. Secondly, he shows us his goodness in his actions. You see, this term goodness is bigger, a bigger category and an umbrella that encompasses many of God's moral attributes. Let me, let me explain. His goodness towards those who in misery is called mercy. His goodness towards those deserving judgment is called patience. His goodness towards those who are hurt and victimized, it's called justice. His goodness towards those who find themselves confused is called wisdom. And his goodness to those who are guilty, we call grace. You see, God's activity, his actions toward us prove that he is good. Just that little list, grace, wisdom, justice, patience, and mercy are all outpourings of God's goodness towards us. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. You see, God is a good and generous gift giver. He's good. God is good and we see it through his actions. But if we're honest, I know in my life, as I said earlier, not everything in life feels like a good gift. There are valleys that feel like death. There are seasons where it's really hard to see God's goodness. But I'll promise you this, God's goodness is not defined by our circumstances but God's goodness is seen through our circumstances. Like our circumstances do not define God's goodness. We cannot look at our circumstances because those are always changing and say, well, my circumstance says that's who God is. No, God is bigger than that. It's through our circumstances that we see God's mercy and that we see God's grace and we see God's justice and we see God's sovereignty. We see all these things through our circumstances, which are all forms of God's goodness towards us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans eight twenty eight. It's like one of our foundational verses for a young adult ministry because y'all live in a season of life. It's, it's a thing, right? It's a lot. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, the circumstances don't define God's goodness. God uses the circumstance for your good, because he is good. That's a God I wanna follow. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, another old preacher and theologian, said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken, and when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. That's why, young adults, that's why when you are in a season, or before that season comes, we have to solidify in our hearts and our minds the character of God. That when we go through the storm, we're not shaken about God's goodness. Instead, what we're reminded of, God will use even this for my good. And it changes how we see life. When the relationship doesn't work out, when the job doesn't go the way you thought, when life doesn't go on the calendar that you think it should go, instead of getting angry at God because he's not good, we look to God because he is good and powerful enough to work all things out for your good. And so knowing our theology, knowing what we believe as soon as we can will make everything else in life a little smoother because our feet will be set on a rock of truth. And so we see God's goodness in his actions, right? In his creative actions, in his day-to-day goodness of what he's doing through our life, through situations, but God's greatest action, and this is the third thing that, that, that tells us that God shows us His goodness is ultimately in our redemption. That is the ultimate display of God's goodness. It is the ultimate display of Romans 8:28. That word, that term redemption just means the action of saving from sin or evil. That redemption is regaining the possession of something in exchange for a payment. We have been redeemed by a God who is holy and perfect and good and just. We were kicked out of his presence in the garden. But because he is good, it's not because we're good. It's because his nature is good. He says, I will redeem my people. And he didn't just pay money. He paid with the blood of his son, Jesus. And so we know God is good because he has held, he was withheld nothing, not even his one and beloved only son. He has not withheld his son from us to redeem us. Psalm 86 Five says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. You see, God appeals to us not with a show of force, but by wooing us through the kindness of Jesus Christ on the cross. Titus 3, 3 through 7 says this, at one time, we too were foolish we were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Sounds like it could be written today. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Because, not because of righteousness, things we have done, but because of his mercy, his goodness. I love this text. But when the kindness, it's a particular kind of goodness to be kind because of the kindness of God our Savior, when he appeared, he saved us. This is the gospel. When we talk about, do you know the gospel? This is the message of of Christ. That the kindness of God, that the love of God is what moved him to redeem you. It wasn't because you were good and you earned it. It wasn't because of how well you're behaved and how much church you attend. It is because he is good that he has redeemed you because we could not do it ourselves. We see God's goodness on display through his creation, his actions toward us, ultimately in our redemption. But like my son who realized his teacher was actually a great teacher, not a tyrant, It caused a change in him. My son's attitude changed, his actions changed, and his experience changed, which brings me to my third point is that God's goodness is a catalyst for us to respond. Like you can't deal and think about the goodness of God without a response. It is one or the other. There is no middle ground. There is total rejection of his goodness, saying, no, I don't trust your goodness, I trust my goodness. Or there is a response when we deeply soak in the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God that says, oh man, I gotta respond to this kind of goodness. And this is how we respond. We first and foremost put our trust in God. We trust him. Romans 10, nine through 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Being a Christian, has, it's, it's not about church attendance. It's about confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. And when he is good, when we can look at the sunrise every morning and we can see that the the flowers that are about to sprout out of the ground, that spring has come and the grass becomes green and the leaves uh, open on the trees and we see birds chirping, that's the goodness of God. And it is when we believe and know that God is good that we can now trust him and confess that he is Lord. And so we respond to his goodness by first putting our trust in him. Secondly, once we put our trust in him, we draw near to him. We respond by drawing near to God. I think about this as living joyfully and confidently in the goodness of God. Like there's a freedom. There's a freedom to life when we know that God is good. And we know that he is able to take even the the bad stuff and and work it out for our good. There's a freedom and a joy that we can live confidently that God is good even when life doesn't feel good. Again, A.W. Tozer had this amazing quote. Listen to this. Sin has made us timid and self-conscious because years of rebellion against God have bred in us a fear that cannot be overcome in a day. The captured rebel, me, does not enter willingly the presence of the king he has so long fought to unsuccessfully to overthrow. Right? Our sin nature is I wanna be king. And I'm gonna do everything I can to overthrow God's authority in my life. I'm gonna do it my way because I know what's best for me. I'm good, my idea of good is what matters. And so I'm gonna fight and I'm gonna fight. And so what that creates in us, as A.W. Tozer says, a fear and self-consciousness about entering into the king which we have tried to overthrow i love that imagery i got to think that's how the prodigal son felt that there was an insecurity of like man i don't know if i don't know if my dad's going to accept me but his dad ran out and embraced him hebrews 4:16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we're in need, whether that's through a sin struggle in your life, whether that's through fearful and chaotic seasons of life, we are told we can approach God with confidence. Why? Because Jesus has made a way because God is good. So we can draw near to the Lord. One last idea about the prodigal is that the father's goodness is why the son returned. It wasn't because he was so desperate, it was because he realized he came to his senses and said, my dad's good. Even his servants have more food than I do. But the crazy thing is, is when he returned, the father's goodness was even greater than the son knew. His expectation was, I'm just gonna eat the servant food, I'm gonna live in the servant quarters, and dad's like, oh no, you don't. You're my son, get in here. We're gonna have a party. And so the son knew the father, but the father's goodness greatly out, 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 uh, outgrew what the, what the son believed. Thirdly, we respond by bringing your gratitude and worship before God. In Psalm 107, 118, and 136, they all begin like this, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And so when we look at the goodness of God, it is a catalyst for us to respond in a particular way, to put our trust in him, to draw near to him, and to bring before him our gratitude and worship. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm just gonna repeat myself. (laughs) Number one is really the only new idea. Start practicing seeing life through the goodness of God. Just just make that mental shift. Look at the sunrise and notice God's goodness. Feel the warmth of the sun and feel God's goodness that he prepared a place for you. Even before you were a thought in anyone's mind, he prepared a good, a very good creation for you. When you hear messages at church or in small group, remind yourself, God is good. Because if we don't, our circumstances will overtake us. That's why it's so important to be in community, it's so important to be in God's word, that we will remember the goodness of God. Secondly, we trust him and then draw near to him. And thirdly, we bring our gratitude and worship before him. You know, there's a children's book that I found about about this week. It's a book called The Moon Is Always Round. It's about a couple who loses their young child. The short book is very moving, and the lesson it offers is very simple, yet incredibly profound. It says, it's when you see the moon at night, depending on the calendar or the weather, the moon may be a half circle, a crescent, a a sliver of light, or even unseen. But that doesn't mean the moon has changed its shape. The moon is always round. And God is always good, even when the light seems dim. So my encouragement to you tonight is to know that God is, at the core of his being, good, He is inclined for good in your life. That's God's posture to you. I grew up believing God's posture to me was an adversarial posture, that he was mad and disappointed and looking to catch me. That's an unbiblical idea of God. His posture towards you is one that is good and is for your good. And so then we can trust him. He is good, so we draw near. Trusting in his goodness, not our circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, I wanna thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your goodness. That just like the moon is always round, you are always good even when we can't see it, that doesn't change who you are. Even when we don't feel it, it doesn't change who you are. God, I pray for us in this room tonight who have a hard time. Maybe we grew up not believing that. Maybe we we're in a season where it's hard to see you in your goodness. God, I pray that you would reveal your goodness to us. That as we read your word, as we wake up and there's breath in our lungs that we didn't even think about, that you would remind us that you are good. As we sing worship songs about your your amazing grace, about your son who loves us and gave his life for us, that we would be reminded that you are good. I'm praising you in your name amen